The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. K-State finishes the stretch of the four toughest games of the season, 2-2. Two and two. All top 25 opponents, and they went 1-1 one and one at home. They went 1-1 one and one on the road. A couple of quad one wins, and a couple of losses when it comes to the overall resume don't hurt you, but man, you would love to have them. You know, I, I did it again. You're good. I saw today, though, on the latest... Joe Lenardi bracketology, it actually did hurt the Cats to lose. But just slightly, right? Like, like just slightly. But it's they're like, like the net ranking. Like, yes, a loss might slightly hurt you, but just, in the long run, you can make up for it. Right. And it's like, they're only the number four team in the country. Oh, just to mention, by the way, they also went one and one in the black jerseys. Yes. Which is an improvement. It is. That's big. Yeah. Instead of being over in the black jerseys, Absolutely. which is part of why I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love them. I win or lose, I love them. I do oh, too. I, oh. I, I um, wait, wait, hold on. Why, why do you not like the black jerseys? Number one, it's not one of our school colors. Number wrong, two, wrong. It is black is a school color. No, royal purple is our only school color officially. Nope, that's incorrect. Spirit per- colors. Per- black is a black is an official color. It's on the prism. See, Roy G. I Biff. guess, but uh, it, I, I just hate black for black's sake on top of it all. I yeah. mean, it, and, and that's what it screams out to me is it's just black to have a black jersey. I did see, I did enjoy they added a little purple patch to the shorts, and I thought, that's kind of cool because they used to be, I mean, yeah. like the Frank yeah. Martin era, black jerseys were just black jerseys. Also, we have tended to suck in them. So. <laughs> Back in the day, they used to mean something. They really meant something when we pulled those ba- them babies out. Now, not so much. We have been losing quite a bit. I will take lavender top, royal purple shorts any day of the week oh, over a black jersey. Don't get me started. There's a, there's a place. You can go to one of the K-State websites and it'll list for you all the official colors. I, I, can't, I googled it real quick. Couldn't find it. Right off the top here, but uh, it's in there somewhere, and I'm I, I I'm 99 sure black is listed well, there. And, with- and and I understand. There's also they, athletic departments tend to do what what are called spirit colors versus what the official school colors are. Montana, as an example, their official school colors are copper and gold. They wear maroon and silver uh, as their spirit colors. Wow. Because um, they can't afford copper and gold. Well, or? basically, you try and get a good looking copper jersey. <laughs> That's tr- I have yet you, to you, see a good the one. The best thing you can do with a copper jersey is Longhorn Orange. That's oh. it. That that's that that was the reasoning behind that. Second, you know, secondarily, Northern Colorado's official school colors are purple and gold, but they ran into an issue with purple dye for their uniforms one year, so they went to blue. Wow, for athletics, and so it's blue and gold for. I, I just athletics. don't get it. Like Montana, like just. Change the co- you know what I mean? Like, I don't think well, anybody they can get away be- with it, nobody's gonna notice. No one's gonna even care, right? Which is why Montana State fans mock them because you know, Montana State's colors are, are true to what their school wow, ones are. Wow, I we're, man, we're I getting like- away from the headlines. <laughs> <Kansas> State <laughs> got sorry, stopped sorry, Jersey by Baylor yesterday. Uh, that final score 74 49. We're now joined by Derek Young from Case Online, gonna join us for a couple of segments here. DY, um. I suppose if there was one game on the schedule, you would pick out and say, yeah, that's just the one the Cats aren't going to get. I would feel like last night was that night. 
but he could also maybe take in consideration uh, there was some emotional hangover after losing to Kansas in a heartbreaking fashion. But just your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. I do think if there there's one you're not going to get, uh, numero uno is probably playing Baylor on the road. Um, now, when they come back to Bramlage Coliseum, you hope that's a more competitive ball game. But given the circumstances, too, as you said, an emotional hangover after really just letting a very winnable game against Kansas slip through your fingers, I think all things considered, last night wasn't a terrible shock. Um, it's probably unfortunate, the state of the program, that it's not a shock when you get beat by 25 in a Big 12 game. And, but and it might not be the only one that looks like, hey, you're just not going to get it. You would you might put like a road game with Kansas up there just because they're probably the second best team in the league and probably on equal footing with Baylor. But the fact that it's a rivalry, maybe you can pull off some – Magic there, but I mean they're up against the eight ball, and they're I mean they're two and six in the Big Twelve. You, you got all Miss on the road on on Saturday, but any conversation about a possible tournament berth seems very unrealistic or just um, pointless at this point. But I will say, if you look at the next month or so of of basketball, what's on their slate? This is the most advantageous portion of their schedule coming up. No doubt. I mentioned in the opening, they're going two and two against these four teams, Texas Tech, Texas, Kansas and Baylor going two and two. You would certainly take that after starting 0-4 in Big 12 play. And really, even before you even start a Big 12 play, you look at that stretch, you could be two of those teams. That's huge. But, you know, what I'm sure most fans continue to look at is the start of Big 12 play going 0-4 and how you, you let a game against Kansas slip through your fingers and you fail to maybe realize that this team has beaten a couple of pretty good teams, uh, teams that'll that'll D you up and try to wear you out, and that's what K-State has faced in these last four games. Yeah, I mean, you're no doubt about it. And you talk about the Kansas game slipping through your fingers. What defines this season is there's already three league games that way. I mean, you could easily say that West Virginia was the same way. Weren't they winning by 17, 17. points in Morganton? Yeah, that was another loss, um, another win that they blew a 17-point lead in Morgantown. And at home to TCU, I mean, that was a very big collapse in the final 30 seconds to lose that game. I mean, let's let's say, I mean, you were up 17 on KU, you were up 17 on West Virginia, you had a two-possession lead on TCU with under a minute left. I mean, if you reverse those games and make them the outcomes that they should have been, if, if you're closing games out and making the winning play and just not getting in your own way, Instead of two and six, what, what are your five and three in the league at that point? And you're probably comfortable in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, a couple of plays in this season is in a completely different spotlight uh, at this very moment. We're speaking with uh, KCN Online's Derek Young. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, D Young Rivals. So uh, before we continue on with K State talk, I, I did want to ask, I was kind of going through my mind about what K State has just faced in the last two games. Probably the top two teams in the Big 12. Uh, Kansas is. Obviously, a great score. They have the best player in the conference in Ochai Abaji. Baylor, who is kind of obviously coming off the NCAA tournament run and winning the championship, but they lost many guys from that team, but kind of reloaded with a lot of talent. But after after seeing these two teams play against K-State and what you've seen so far this year, would you put Baylor over KU or KU over Baylor right now? I would put Baylor over KU. Um, they had one bad week this year um, where they lost two games at home. And other than that, they've been pretty much unscathed, I believe. So I think that they have the more complete team. 
And I mean, they've been more dominant, probably a little bit more consistent. Uh, Hey, give credit to where credit is due to Kansas that they found a way to win the last three games. But if you look, I mean, that double overtime game against Texas Tech, the K-State game, and the contest prior to that, I forget the opponent, they very easily could have lost each of their last three games. Not to take anything away from them because the fact that you pull those games out means you're a very, very, very good team. And you pull games out that you probably shouldn't. But I think if you're just talking about performance and how they have uh, played, I like Baylor um, more. And I, I think there is a gap between those two. I don't think it's a big one, but I think there is a gap between those two. And the team you're thinking about, was, I, I believe, is Oklahoma. Uh, that, yep. that started that stretch of KU winning in the final seconds and come from behind fashion. Yeah, if you ask those recent teams that KU has beaten, we kind of had fun with this yesterday about what you can do in 13 seconds, throwing it back to the – the overtime game for the Chiefs against the Buffalo Bills, you can lose to the Kansas Jayhawks <laughs> in in 13 seconds. And they have proven that in the last uh, well, the last three games they've played that were all come from behind victories for KU. But that overtime game against Tech was an insane game that Tech, give them credit for clawing back and in, uh, in getting in it. Yeah. I mean, the Big 12 is just a gauntlet. I mean, it's fun turning on the TV every night and watching whatever Big 12 game um, is, on, is being played because they're all – Great, aside from a couple here and there that turn into blowouts, but there's so many that are being decided by, heck, five points or less, one possession. There's a great Big 12 game almost every night during the week. It's made for entertaining basketball. It'd be nice if Kansas State was a little bit more relevant to the equation, certainly, but it's been fun to watch and even an interesting game tonight. I know it sounds crazy, but Oklahoma and West Virginia. I believe Oklahoma's lost four games in a row. West Virginia lost three games in a row. So even that game has is a little bit compelling because despite those losing streaks for both squads, I think they're both projected to still make the NCAA tournament. Now, I do think the Sooners are trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, they are. And Oklahoma State, weird, right? They beat Baylor in Waco, and all of a sudden now they're they're struggling. But they have a very similar record like K-State does. Um, so what we've seen the last two games is K-State um, – well, first of all, in, in the KU game, they score – 50 in the first half. Against Baylor, they failed to score 50 in the entire game. But I will say that K-State ran into a much tougher defense. Baylor is a much more complete team on both ends of the floor. Meanwhile, Kansas, in some statistics, is is worse than the Big 12 when it comes to some defensive statistics. I was very upset in that KU game that K-State, after the first 15 minutes, Took the took the foot off the gas a little bit offensively. Wasn't attacking as much. It was too much. You get the ball in the front court and you sit on it, dribble it around for ten seconds, and then when there's thirteen on the shot clock, then you run offense and try to get a shot up. I I really dislike that. Um, how'd you feel about that? I mean, I I think that happens. Um, it's kind of a Bruce Weber philosophy, a little bit trying to shrink the game and make it really mathematically impossible for the other team to come back. The problem is they still came back. So it obviously it wasn't a winning philosophy or winning strategy, but I mean, that's kind of been in Bruce Weber's DNA to kind of, you know, operate that way and maneuver through a game that way. I, I had a feeling, you know, when we were, they were at halftime and I even said it like Kansas State's offense isn't going to be sustainable. I mean, they were hitting on all cylinders, something we don't typically see from them in the 50, especially with a 50 point half, but with that big of a lead, if you shrink the game, you do give yourself a better chance, but you also you take your foot off the gas too much, and then you're you're really 
you're just playing not not to lose and sometimes when you play not to lose you end up losing and that's what happened for kansas state and credit to credit where credit where credit is due for kansas and and i, I remember i tweeted it at halftime as well i mean it was for Kansas State, it was the Marquise Noel and Nigel Pack show, right? No one else was doing anything, even in the first half when they scored 50 points. Uh, Selton Miguel had some moments here and there when he was attacking downhill to his right. But um, as soon as Kansas took away Noel and Pack and basically did almost like a triangle and two type defense and just said, you know, anyone else is going to have to beat us if you if you want to win this game. And and certainly that's what they did and, and nobody else could. So the problem for Kansas State I mean, when we're talking about taking the air out of the basketball and taking your foot off the gas is that no one else can make a shot. I mean, you take away Noel, you take away Pack, you're taking away the primary ball handlers, you're taking away any kind of scoring. I mean, even against Baylor, I mean, nobody else is doing anything on the offensive end right now for Kansas State uh, besides those two. Mark Smith has disappeared. Mike McGurl has disappeared. It's been unfortunate, but they're going to need more offensive output from more guys than just Noel and Pack. We're speaking with Derek Young from K-State Online and D.Y. We'll, we'll take a break, and when we come back, a um, couple of more issues I do have when I've seen in the last couple of games for K-State, and we'll break that down uh, when we come back here on the game on KMAN. In a Big 12 SEC Challenge tilt. Two ranked college basketball teams meet tonight in Cincinnati. Number 21, Xavier hosts number 17, Providence, in a Big East affair. Providence has won three straight and is unbeaten at home in conference play this year. Brian Poles has been hired as the Chicago Bears general manager. Poles spent the previous 13 seasons as part of the Kansas City Chiefs front office. The game continues now on News Radio KMAN. The game continues on KMAN. In studio, it's myself, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G., and Sage Williams is with us on the board. And we're joined via Zoom with Derek Young from K-State Online at Rivals on Twitter. DY, we continue our conversation about K-State men's basketball. And I, I want to go to what we've seen around the basket lately, offensively, defensively. I mean, for a while, we've seen, obviously, a lack of scoring with the bigs. <laughs> Paint points, the majority of it is coming from your guards, either from Pack or a lot of it from Marquise, Marquise Noel, even Selton in the KU game. Selton Miguel was getting some paint points in the first half, but rebounding has been a big issue the last couple of games. Just got smoked by the Jayhawks by 22 rebounds. It, it was, uh, you know, it was actually like a 15 rebound margin against Baylor, but K State kind of closed the gap late in that game as some subs started to come in, but even uh, points the paint Baylor just absolutely dominated. So I guess you could kind of look at this in two ways. And I'll, uh, You'll either, I'm sure, agree or disagree, and feel free to disagree because I could see it either way with the argument, but you could maybe blame it on going small ball, you know, a smaller lineup, harder to uh, rebound against longer teams like Baylor and Kansas. Or I kind of point my finger towards more at, well, paint play from the bigs, from Ish Masood, it just hasn't been where it definitely needs to be right now for K-State. But how do you look at it, D.Y.? Their best offensive lineup is clearly when they play small. Um, none of their bigs are really providing any offensive output, and they're almost liabilities on that end. Davion Bradford, a lot of turnovers, um, you know, missing around the rim, of course. Easy Agu's a big-time liability at the free-throw line and can't stay out of foul trouble anyway himself. Bradford – 
you know, like I said, the turnovers, not finishing around the rim, not, you know, not catching the ball, not being able to run the floor. They're a liability. Sure. You might be a better rebounding team when you have those guys in and, and you're a little bit bigger, but it's, it's not even that big of a difference because they're having such a hard time getting up and down the floor, getting off the floor, staying out of foul trouble that I'm not sure that the real difference in rebounding acumen when you have Bradford and easy on the floor is, you know, considerable enough to, for that to be a net positive. Uh, and that's probably why they have chosen to go small because yeah, you give up rebounding, but probably not a ton because those bigs don't rebound it well either, but you do have a better offensive lineup on the floor. So it's hard. I mean, that's why they, when they play their best this year, it's when Mark Smith and Sultan Miguel are the team's best rebounders. And when they're, you know, getting into the double digits and rebounding, that's when they play their best basketball. I mean, Mark Smith had that big double-double, you know, when he hit 16 rebounds. So I, when they're not getting rebounding at a high number from Mark Smith or, or from Celta Miguel or anyone that's not a post player, they're, they're going to struggle because they just aren't going to get that effort from the front court. And I guess it comes down to it, and you – I mean, you pointed out, you you were nails on it. Their problem is their front court because when they're on the floor, they're maybe a little bit better defensively, but they're not a lot better at rebounding and their offense is just very porous. But when they're off the floor, then the rebounding is, you know, still bad, but their defense is bad because Ishmael Masood's not playing great at the five either. So it's just a black hole for this team and that continues to be probably – their biggest problem, um, just not being able to be a complete team when they go small, but they can't afford not to go small because they need that offensive output. Speaking with Derek Young from K-State Online, D.Y., first of all, I appreciate you putting me over with my comments. That's very nice of you. <laughs> but also, um, add on a little bit to the, uh, the, the big talk there. I think Casey Eziegu has peaked. His talent has peaked. Um, he, he's probably not going to get better than he is. Um, because I, I, we've kind of seen the same same thing back to back years where you know he's going to probably peak at four points a game, maybe three rebounds a game is where somewhere in that area. Um, but he's also been missing free throw lately, and I you know he'd never like to see that. But Davion Bradford, you could almost push it as kind of a sophomore slump. It feels like he had eight he averaged what eight or nine points a game last year. But also, I mean, if you look at the last game against Baylor last year I mean, he had like 16 18 points in that game he had a great game against Baylor who was a more talented team I would say maybe not as good yeah. defensively but that team won a freaking national championship I mean come on you just you, you wonder where does it go back to him being out of shape or banged up it has to be something because by far I don't know if there's a college basketball player that looks night and day differently on the negative trend of the things than Davion Bradford. I mean, he was one of their three best players last year. And this year, he's one of a couple that are almost unplayable right now. And it does come down to conditioning and still not being able to stay on the floor. I mean, his first few minutes, he'll be effective, and then it trails off. And that just shows that that it is a conditioning level for him. At least that's part of the equation. Uh, It makes you wonder if they miss Ben O'Donnell in that way. Um, the strength coach where he was the most effective for since it is, it seems to be a conditioning issue or, or of sorts. So that, it's really unfortunate, but he's the least, he's probably the player that's, I guess, wor- weakened or worsened the most from one year to the next. I don't even know if you can call it a sophomore slump. This is a, just a sophomore beatdown. He's just a shell of himself. And it's really odd to see 
And I do think some of it has to be on conditioning, if not all of it. I, I mean, none of us really can put our finger on the pulse of what's really the issue right now, but it isn't great. And you know what Casey Eziego is kind of like last year, right? Look at, I mean, the non-conference portion compared to the conference portion. I think that's where you have your biggest discrepancy when, when he's playing inferior teams, he's fine. And, and when he, the conference schedule, you know, arrives and you have to play some really, really good bigs, he, he t- his performance tends to, you know, trend downward. So I think it, you know, for him, it's like he's better than some of the really bad bigs that they play in the non-conference portion, but he's probably not up to par with some of the better ones that they see in the Big 12 on a nightly basis. I think that's what it comes down to it. And if you want to talk about peaks, I mean, we'll give credit where credit is due. I keep saying that in the show today, but it's relevant here. He peaked against Wichita State, though. Yeah, he did. We're speaking with Derek Young from K-State Online. And, I mean, with the bigs, you know, it it could be just some of the small things that could fix some of their issues, you know, being stronger once you get the ball in the paint and guys start to collapse on you. Pull an Aoka Lee. Do what she does and make a play to the rim when you get that basketball or you know, power dribble one time. You know, it's get yourself in a good spot to score the basketball. Get the ball up higher, not down to your belt. You know, just those kind of things. Speaking of that, are they are they going to win tonight in Texas? You know, that's a tough one because Texas is really good. I think they're kind of like the Baylor of the Big Twelve, where Baylor uh, on the or the uh, Texas on the women's side is kind of the more complete team offensively and defensively, they could. I mean, Aukali will be the tallest player on the floor, uh, as far as I know. But uh, Over under 30 points for tonight? Is that what we're probably putting it at? I would say under. I, I really would. Um, this is one of those, you know, if you get, get Aukali to 20 points, that's a big game against somebody like Texas. But they need, you know, what we uh, – honestly, last couple of games, you really haven't seen the freshmen hit – monster shots like the three-pointers they've they've been kind of few and far between in the last couple of games but if they step up and knock down big shots that that's what's going to win the game yeah i mean i mean it's a pivotal game if they if they can steal one on the road against texas at this part of the year as i think they're still tied for first in the big 12 right kansas state with iowa state and oklahoma exactly texas is a half game a half game back so yeah that's i mean it's a pivotal game every game now is very pivotal for the k-state women because they're chasing a Big Twelve championship, and of course, uh, you know they want to be a top sixteen seed yeah. in the in the tournament, so they can host a regional. And they need to steal one on the road because they had that bad home loss against Iowa State, where they were up sixteen. Well, they also had that loss to Texas Tech on the road. That that one is one that really that one really stung when it came to just the resume because that that's a tough loss. That's a tough ro- yeah. loss on the old resume. Yeah. Uh, but if they win this one in Texas, that's that's a monster win. Now, DY, I was kind of saving this question because it's the you know it's the one hundred twenty five thousand dollar question, and it's about Selton yeah. Miguel who hurt his ankle in the uh, game against Baylor. We haven't seen, heard in a, a public diagnosis or a timetable on how long he's going to be out, when he's supposed to be come back, how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's you know hypothetical he's out for you know if if it's a sprain or whatever a couple of weeks. I I think that's probably what we're looking at. I mean, because I mean, but Bruce Weber, his postgame press conference, if I remember correctly, he said, I hope it's not a break and that they were assuming or maybe it was with Wyatt when he said it, too. But he said maybe it's just a high sprained ankle. I mean, just hypothetical, though, whatever it could be, let's say, you know, at some point he does come back, but he's out an extended 
amount of time. Who knows? But he's out. He's going to miss some games. Uh, to you, how big of a loss is this? Yeah, you know, it, it, probably not as big of a loss offensively, of course. I think we all are frustrated at times with his struggles on the head end of the floor. But, I mean, he's the – Marquise Noel is probably the most complete defender, but he is limited because of his size. But he probably creates the most havoc because of the steals that he is able to provide the Wildcats. But all in all, in terms of on-ball defense, the guy that you want to stick on the team's best offensive player, that would be Selton Miguel. So you're going to lose that. So they're going to, I wouldn't say drop off a cliff on the defensive end, but it's probably going to be a noticeable drop off. And, you know, Mark Smith will probably have to pick up the slack in terms of guarding the team's best offensive player, maybe for a longer portion of the game. So he's really going to be tested. And, and here's the bad part of that. You put Mark Smith, you give him that defensive assignment, which you probably have to do. That makes it tougher for him to rebound the basketball too, which you need that from him. So, I mean, the rebounding probably becomes even more glaring and you don't have your best on-ball defender. So, um, unless you're going to score, you know, at will, like you did in the first half against Kansas, you're, you're going to feel that loss. And and I don't know when it is seen the most. And here's and, – but I guess going back to what we said earlier – it's, it stinks for the Kansas State because this is the, probably the, the weakest part of their schedule. Not that it's easy, but this is the most attainable part of their schedule where they can make up some ground. Yep, absolutely. Ole Miss is they're, – they're 9 and 9, and they're missing some of their guys. Like that, that's an absolute must win. And then you have uh, Oklahoma State, and then that's at home, and then a rematch against TCU. These next three games before they see Baylor game, again, absolute must wins. We're talking with uh, Derek Young from K-State Online. Before I let you go – uh, let's talk a little K-State football because the big news from last week is uh, – well, really wasn't even last week. It was Sunday, right? That uh, Adrian Lara, 6'1", not a, not a beefy guy, 170 pounds, but he's a pro-style quarterback out of Arizona, commits to the Cats. That, that, yeah, and Go. I think that 170 was probably uh, a year ago. And uh, okay. He, I guess – I did confirm with him. He's he measured in around two two ten two fifteen. So yeah, that's so he, a difference. Yeah, that's an outdated thing. So he's about six one two ten at this point. Well, come on, rivals. What are we doing? No, I'm just a <laughs> uh, three star guy. I, I watched his film earlier today, his highlight film, and I I, I got to say what I did like about him. It kind of stands out like an Adrian Martinez. He can scramble. Uh, I really mm-hmm. like the touch he has on the football. It's it it it, 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 it very gracefully the ball just kind of rainbows through the air and finds a receiver. I, I was pretty impressed, but what are your takes on this uh, Lara kid? Very unorthodox, unconventional, right? I think the first seven or eight throws were all different arm slots, different angles, you know, doing things where you don't really want to teach your quarterback to do. And obviously we see a lot of that, you know, on Sundays in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's that, but this guy, he probably takes the non-mechanical side to a different level. So I think they're going to want to, you know, teach a little bit more consistency there to have a little bit somewhat of a repeatable motion because it's not repeatable at all. He's just kind of, you know, freewheeling and out there and kind of very improvisational, I would say. Um, But because he isn't all the way there from a mechanical standpoint, sometimes you can see how strong his arm is. And there's other times where, it looks like he probably needed to put more 
zip or velocity or length on the throw, and he didn't. And I think that's probably a product of some of those poor mechanics at times. So that's probably going to be step one in his development process. But all in all, the things that I like, he is mobile enough to do some damage on the ground. Um, He does have arm strength when he puts it together from a mechanical standpoint. And really his accuracy is, I mean, we see a highlight reel. It's only their better, their best throws. I get that. But it's not just accuracy that I liked. It was his ball placement. I mean, you can your best throws, you're going to throw it in the vicinity where the guy can catch it. I get that. But it was just like in a very particular spot where only his guy could get it, um, putting it only in arm's reach of his guy instead of the defender. So his ball placement is pretty top level for someone in his stage. He's just – I guess I would define him at the end of the day as someone with a very high ceiling of potential, but probably one of the lower floors, and it's probably – um, makes sense for what you're if you're signing a quarterback this late in the process. Well, it does feel like depth chart mania 2023 has its quarterback yeah. matchup. Maybe I, you know, just kind of throwing it out there with Jake Rubley, who seems to be the one that's being groomed for the spot after Adrian Martinez. But Adrian Laura, I would you know, most likely would say he's number two on that fight, would you not? Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen enough. It's because we don't know what we don't know. So we like the unknown the most when it comes to uh, Rubley because we haven't seen him in a game or Laura because he hasn't even stepped foot on campus. And and we have seen Jaron Lewis and Will Howard, and it hasn't been, they've left a lot to be desired so far in their career. Um, that quarterback battle is going to be an interesting one of all four, assuming all four are still there, uh, you know, fall camp of 2023 that would be and whoever the 2023 high school quarterback is he would be at that time too and wouldn't it be even more entertaining and intriguing if it was Avery Johnson out of Mays High School yeah um I I do like the optimism you're throwing out there D.Y. but uh I, they're I suppose- in the game they're in the game it's it, it's a battle and it's a tough one but they're in the game for him okay um, it's they're it's probably here it is. I would say I don't know if I would pick another school right now that has a better chance than Kansas State, um, just because hmm. teens have kind of been in and out on them a little bit. But at the end of the day, if you ask me if I, would I take Kansas State or the field, I would probably still take the field. Okay. All right. Derek Young from K-State Online with us. Um, that's all she wrote, D.Y. appreciate you coming in for another Wednesday, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Derek Young from K-State Online. Follow him. On Twitter, at DeYoungRivals, and check out KansasState.Rivals.com. Expert analysis and the latest in K-State news is there. All right, when we come back, voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. We're talking AFC Championship game, and I'm sure 13 seconds will be brought up at some point. Uh, The game on K-Man. Photographs of that AFC divisional round game. I'm sure it will be plastered all over Chiefs Kingdom for quite some time as we're joined by the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. First of all, before we get to that game, Mitch, um, I, I got to bring up the big headline that is with K-State Athletics this week, and that is on Sunday, just a few hours before the Chiefs kicked off, women's basketball player Aokali sets a new NCAA scoring record in a game with 61 points. When you hear about that, do you have to start – searching for other sources to see if that's true? No, uh, not knowing her game. Uh, it's been kind of fun to follow that, but none of that. Actually, uh, Bernie Haney, who worked for years, of course, uh, out at Colbert Hills, 
uh, in fundraising for the athletic department was talking about it during our kind of pregame uh, production session. And so, no, I mean, honestly, I took me back to when Ski Jones at 64 against Fresno State uh, in 1994 on the men's side. So, no, I just I think it's fantastic uh, and great for the program to get that notoriety from a national standpoint. Yeah, K-State women's basketball right now kind of on top of the world after just one game, and everybody's taking notice of, of K-State women's basketball right now. It's very fun to uh, to live through that right now. Meanwhile, um, you know, 13 seconds is a big difference between the Chiefs still playing football and the Chiefs watching an AFC championship game from their couch. And uh, first I want to get your reaction of when Josh Allen hit a 19-yard rope to to uh, Gabriel Davis with 13 seconds to go. Your thoughts when that happened? Well, let's give this some K-State perspective. Uh, back in the dark ages, when they won no games ever, and there was a Tulane game that ended like that. There was a Austin P game that ended like that. And then enter Bill Snyder, uh, one of the most forgotten games of coaches building of the seven years I was with him, was playing a lowly Indiana State team. Uh, an FCS team, and they scored like that. But then they went for two, and K-State ran the two-pointer back for the first ever pick two in college football history. Uh, so uh, I've seen a few miracles. I've been on both sides of feeling the despair. But truthfully, and you're going to say, oh, yeah, now you're saying this after the fact. But no, it's truthful. And I, I'm not sure I mentioned it on the air or not, but I know I was thinking it. With three timeouts, Three timeouts now gives you two shots down the middle. And you know that the Bills are going to take away the sidelines. They can't allow a quick out, deep out, and then stop the clock and preserve a timeout. So they're going to make you burn timeouts. They're going to play everything outside in, but that could give you a shot at the middle. And I'm thinking with three timeouts, that's two shots at the middle. Now, let's take the brilliance of the first play, which is not firing it down there into the teeth of the defense. It's running that screen, the same screen they ran, to Tyreek Hill for a touchdown in a Hail Mary situation for 50 yards against the Dallas Cowboys in 2017. That gives you a chunk, and then it sets up the do-it-do-it ad-lib play between uh, Mahomes and Kelsey, which has become so famous. The other thing I would end this way, and I'm giving you a long answer, but they rehearse these situations all the time. I hear teams going, hey, why do OTAs, or we're going to skip mini camps in the summer? It's like, What? Coach uses those. He uses the spring, the summer, and for sure in training camp in a thing they call special cat, which is a special category, every day where they're working on situations very similar to that. It's, it's not a coincidence that they managed it, they didn't panic, they executed it, and they did what appears to be miraculous. What I felt was so special about and I, I'm going to give a shout-out here to the, the social media crew or whoever puts together the videos for Chief Social Media because they put your your voice in over the highlights of what you know, played out in that final drive to set up that field goal and then the game winner. But it was also Travis Kelsey on the sideline talking to Tyree Kill and also talking to Patrick Mahomes about how they're going to man up. I'm going to be open down the middle or Tyreek's going to be open down the middle. Doesn't that just make it more special that, that Travis Kelsey knew what they were going to do, and that's coming from the best tight end in football history. Yeah, it's, it's the preparation where, one, he knows what Buffalo's going to do, but, two, he also has a premonition of what we're going to do because of all the rehearsal that goes in 
to those situations. It's the brilliance of Coach Reed. Now, you have to execute it, and that's the brilliance of Mahomes and Chelsea and Hill. But still, there's there's very few teams uh, at football at any level that are going to pull off what the Chiefs did. But I'm telling you, I, straight up, that it wasn't like, oh my gosh, it was an Old Testament miracle and a meteor hit the earth and rivers run backwards. No, there was three timeouts. I knew there was a shot. Two, oof, be rough. One, probably no shot. But with three timeouts, that gave you the opportunity to middle, middle, and set it up. If you go back to that AFC Championship game that the Chiefs had against the New England Patriots, felt like the way that game was going, whoever won the coin toss might win that game. And that's what happened. Patriots win the toss, and they win the game. Similar feeling with, and I, you know, I'm kind of surprised the Buffalo Bills was having their struggles. It, kind of both sides having their uh, struggles defensively. But the Chiefs win the toss, they drive, and the touchdown is made with the pass from Mahomes to Travis Kelsey. I'm sure we've asked you about this before, um, but the overtime rules, uh, how do you feel about them? Well, let's take first and foremost what's overlooked because, again, they rehearsed the whole 13-second thing, but they were pretty surgical in that uh, drive of eight plays, 75 yards. Six different guys touched the ball. They ran a great screen to McKinnon. They had a few short yardage plays. Our Wildcat, Pringle, made a nice catch. And then they get Hardman, who was great in this game. He's actually been great for a month. He's got his confidence back. When he hit the crosser and then popped it for 26 yards, which sets up the Kelsey play. So it was very similar to New England's surgical strike in overtime against the Chiefs where the other team, we didn't get the ball in that game, and, and the Bills didn't get it in this one. Okay. Now, the second part of your question is what about the overtime rules? I still think the other team in the postseason should get a crack to have the football. Regular season, ugh, you got windows to hit. It's a long year. Um, it's not sudden death. You can have a tie. The 10-minute rule and play like it is, I'm kind of okay with it. you got to have a touchdown. If you screw up that first drive and you're punting or doing something crazy on fourth down, the other team all they have to do is kick a field goal. So it's, it's not just completely uh, skewed in the way of the person or the team that gets the, the coin toss, that wins the toss. Now, the playoffs seem different to me. There's no window to hit. You could play all night if you have to. That's the way the rules are, sudden death. It's play on all the way through. So in that instance, I'm saying the offense should have the ball. Let's say in this instance, score a touchdown. All right, then kick it away. Buffalo, you've got a shot. If you don't get a touchdown, good night. Uh, if neither team scores in that first possession, both teams have had a shot at it, then the next score would win. And uh, so I'm okay with that. Like, But it's the only sport that I know of where both teams don't get a crack at it. I mean, if you're doing... Uh, in the shootouts in hockey or soccer, both teams get a crack at it. Baseball, both teams are going to get an at-bat at it. And basketball, both teams are going to touch it in the overtime. Uh, so unless it's a high school game and you sit there and hold it for three minutes in a high school game. But uh, the, the NFL has to deal with that in the postseason. In the regular season, I wouldn't jack with it much. Speaking with Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Chiefs, a couple more for you here, Mitch. Uh, Byron Pringle. Touchdown against the Bills, two against the Steelers, and in as I look at the stats here, for the last five games, he's had at least five catches. Uh, he is becoming more of a weapon for this Chiefs offense, and it's coming at a time that his time as a Chief might be starting to run out. 
So how beneficial is this for him now to have this opportunity? He has made himself very valuable to this team. And I told you guys, I told you guys that for the last two to three years. And now his value goes to a whole other level when he does it in the postseason. There's been a hero in all four of these postseason runs. Think of Damian Williams, the run to immortality in 2019, and somewhat Daryl Williams in the divisional playoff victory against the Colts back in 18 before anybody knew who he was. Well, here's Pringle. He's kind of fitting in that role of being really good. Coach can use him a hundred different ways, even when he does not touch the ball. But now he's making big plays in the playoffs. Before this season, in the regular season, Pringle did not have a catch, a touchdown catch, in a win. And it worried me. Like, he's getting some touchdowns, but they're, they're in losses, the few losses we've had. So it looks like garbage time. Not anymore. Now he's making huge plays when uh, it matters the most. That play he had, which was, what, the second touchdown in the game on Sunday, was a big-time throw by Mahomes. Two guys are in his – go back and listen to that call. And then Pringle has a tough route to run. Runs it in the red zone, okay, arena football, pretty well covered and still made the play. Now all of a sudden Pringle, who's been really valuable, is even more so. One more for you here, Mitch, and that's the game coming up on uh, on Sunday. The Cincinnati Bengals come into town and they won week 17 with Jamar Chase going off for 266 and three scores. So how does Kansas City prevent the Bengals from stealing another one? That game was so weird. There were so many strange circumstances of that game. Orlando Brown Jr. gets hurt pregame. The regular reference crew doesn't show up. Uh, Niang goes down six plays into the game. I mean, it's, it was just a mess. Uh, ten penalties. All of their drives for scores, which they're good offensively, but every drive was aided by a penalty. Sands won. Any, any big penalty. Defensive pass interference. Defensive holding. Uh, Pringle, speaking to him, a kickoff return for a touchdown. Whoops, called back. I mean, it's that kind of game where it seemed like uh, you were just going uphill all day. Now, to answer your question, you have got to tackle in this game. You, the 72-yard touchdown by Chase in that game, the 69-yarder by Chase, uh, last week's 75-yarder to Gabriel Davis, that, that's the plays that have got to go away. If you're going to have a chance to win, and I think the Chiefs have a great chance to win, and maybe really pop these guys, Really pop them. they got a chance to pop these dudes. But you can't do it if you're giving up 60- to 70-yard plays. The 72-yarder to Chase was a 12-yard pass. Nobody tackled it. Now, he's hard to tackle. He's Tyree Kill. But still, if you're within five yards, you might want to try. And that's what they've got to do uh, in this game. All right, Mitch, that's a 2 o'clock kickoff right here on K-Man Chiefs and Bengals. And, Mitch, I appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Mitchell, let's talk about offense. Here's why the Bengals are in the game, real quick. Okay. Plus four in the giveaway takeaway, and they've only allowed two touchdowns in the red zone and eight attempts by the opponents. The Bengals' defense is not getting enough discussion. They're not as sexy as the Bills from a statistical standpoint, but they've been efficient in the playoffs. Otherwise, we'd be going to Tennessee. That's the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. Hour two of the game is coming up next. Thanks, Mitch.